Great to, great to see you. It's been great to be with you these last four months, and over this time we've gotten to know each other, and we've gotten to uh, go deeper together in the Lord. We've been through some battles ourselves, but God is bringing us out victorious on the other side. Aren't you glad for that? Amen. Well, over these last uh, few months, you've probably learned a few things about me. One, you probably recognize and have heard that uh, I like to ride my Harley. I just, uh, if, if I had the money, all the money in the world, all I would do is ride my Harley and tell people about Jesus. That would be my ideal dream job. I don't have all the money, so I can't do that, but I do my best anyway. Love, love my Harley Davidson. You probably have noticed also that I'm a big Dallas Cowboy fan. Woo! Security, please. You've probably also learned that uh, me and Ohio State don't, don't get along. But, but I still love you, man. I, I still love you. Our youth pastor, you know, youth pastors get a pass on a lot of things. He wears Ohio State stuff just way too often. We, we've changed the staff handbook to uh, insert something about a dress code, which includes no... Uh, no Ohio State or other such um, frivolous. Uh, tri- uh, I can't even think of the word. I can't even think of the word. So, uh, you know, uh, I like German chocolate cake. Somebody came up earlier today and they said they baked me a German chocolate pie. Never had a German chocolate pie, but I'm anxious for service to be over. Sermon's about done. Love Diet Pepsi, been chastised for that on numerous occasions, but still love Diet Pepsi. You also know that um, without fail, I love my wife more than... Uh, (laughs) That's, uh, it's close, it's close. But you also need to know that the time we've been here, we have uh, really come to cherish and adore you, and we appreciate the opportunity that we can be together. Thank you. The, uh, as we're finishing this, uh, this sermon series, there's a verse that um, I was in worship today. What Randy said is, uh, I feel it to be true that God has been moving in this place in a, in a unique way. Uh, maybe you're aware of it. Uh, maybe you're not. If you're not, I'm just asking you to, to pray more deeply and just to get more connected to what God is doing because God has been trying to say something to us. And as, I, as we were standing there singing a, one of the songs, the Lord brought a scripture to me. Uh, it's from Luke chapter 22. And, and I had a little different introduction that I wanted to go with this morning, but that verse just, just it just like the Lord just pounded my head with it. It's in Luke chapter 22. And in this verse of Scripture, it's, I'm just going to tell you two lines from it. Jesus is talking and He says, He's talking to Peter. And this is what Jesus says to Peter. He says, Peter, Satan demanded. That's interesting words. Satan demanded that he could have you so that he might sift you like wheat. As I heard that verse of Scripture in my heart this morning, I, I'm, it makes me think of what's going on um, in our world today. What's going on in our church. What's going on in churches all over. Satan believes that he has the right to ask for certain things from God. Remember when he asked for Job? You know, Satan thinks he's really smart, but he's not because he should have learned his lesson back then. And so in the New Testament, Satan kind of comes back 
And he's, he's saying to Jesus, I want one of your best because I believe I am so good that I can take down your best, Peter. We know that Peter was one of the best because Jesus said that on this rock, Peter, I'll build my church. So Satan was arrogant. He said, I am going to take him down. And for a moment, it looked like he was going to win, didn't it? Peter went out and he denied Christ three times, which is interesting because it's the number of times that Jesus won in the wilderness over Satan. But Jesus won. Peter won. And we're in this battle that we've entitled, we've, we've used this idea of survivor because of the kind of tongue-in-cheek with the game show, but in a, in a very real sense, spiritually speaking, that's, the, that's the, the game we're playing. Because whether we accept it or not, whether we believe it or not, it doesn't matter what we think. The Scripture tells us that there is spiritual warfare that is taking place in ways that maybe we never even see, but it is happening. And I guarantee you, on Satan's wall in hell, he's got your name written. He wants you. Husband, he wants your wife. I know this, she may not be perfect, but don't mess with her. We'll have issues. I'm not a violent person normally, but I can be provoked. And Satan's after your kids. He's after your kids. And there's something real that's happening here. And, and our goal is to outwit, outlast, and overcome the villain so that we can be a soul survivor. We said early on that, that while, while Satan is coming to steal and kill and destroy, we said that greater is he who is in us, who is in you, than he who is in the world. Last week we talked about this battle against sin and that, that Satan is going to use all the cares of this world to try to get you off focus from following Jesus and being the person that he wants you to be. You see, the problem is sometimes in Christendom is we view ourselves here but God uses us up here. And Satan is trying to keep us, he's trying to be that, that, that obstacle to keep us from getting all the way to where God wants us to be. But if we guard our heart, if we use Scripture, we can overcome. This morning I want to finish with kind of telling you a little bit about the story of Satan. We're going to do so from Genesis chapter 3. We're going to look at that chapter. I'm going to go quickly, but I want you to listen carefully to, to, to what the Scriptures tell us. In Genesis chapter 3, verse 1, it just begins this way. It says, Now the serpent was more crafty than any other beast of the field that the Lord God had made. It uses the word crafty because that's Satan. He's secretive. He's exploitative. He's manipulative. He's deceptive. He's a liar. He's a murderer. He's trying to steal, kill, and destroy. Satan doesn't often use methods that are in our face because he's crafty. Satan likes to, to slither in the back door or crawl through the side door. Seldom does he get right in our face. And, and in fact, if we're, if we're using military terms, what, what Satan often does is what's called psyops or psychological operations. It's a, it's a form of warfare that's as old as warfare itself. It's where you, you try to trick your opponents into believing something that's not true so that it discourages them from, from continuing in battle or for being um, um, in, in the battle that, that's taking place. It's an interesting story. When Alexander the Great, you remember him from, from history, he was a, a Greek emperor and he was conquering the world. And so, one, there was one occasion when Alexander the Great, was his army was being defeated and they were being pursued by a larger army. And so Alexander the Great went to his armorers, who are the people who, who built the armor for his soldiers, and this is what he told them. He said, create armor that looks as though it could go on a soldier seven or eight feet tall. And then take that armor, and as we're retreating, litter the path with the armor. What was his purpose? He wanted this pursuing army to see this large armor, 
And they would be discouraged from continuing the pursuit because they would say to themselves, we don't want to fight these giants. That's psychological warfare. And that's what Satan is trying to do to you. It's not obvious. It's psychological. Because he's trying to be crafty and he's trying to sneak in. Now, one of the things, one of the questions that we haven't tackled during this series, and I left it for today, is one very real question, and that is, um, where does Satan come from? Because we see in the garden that he's introduced in Genesis 3.1. Satan is there. So where did he come from? Let, let me just give you real quickly four facts about the origin of Satan. The first thing you need to understand, these may surprise you, first thing you need to understand is God created Satan. Now, most people think that's kind of strange. He didn't originally create him the way he became, but he was created. The Bible tells in Colossians 1.16, For by him all things were created in heaven and on earth, visible and invisible, whether thrones or dominions or rulers or authorities, all things were created through him and for him, and he is before all things, and in him all things hold together. God Created Satan. But the fact number two is God created him good. Genesis 1.31 tells us, and God saw everything that he had made. We only think that the creation he's talking about is just heaven, but God saw, um, or just earth, but it's everything. God saw everything that he had made, and behold, it was very good. He saw it, and he said, this is good. But fact number three is that while God made everything, and while God made everything good, there still was rebellion in heaven. Notice some scriptures here. Revelations chapter 12, verse 7. Now God, now war arose in heaven. Michael and his angels fighting against the dragon. We learned a couple weeks ago that the dragon is, is, a, is a word for Satan. And the, and the dragon and his angels fought back, but he was defeated, and there was no longer any place for them in heaven. And the great dragon was thrown down, that ancient sermon who was called the devil and Satan, the deceiver of the whole world. He was thrown down to earth, and his angels were thrown down with him. Jude 6 reinforces this. It says, And the angels who did not stay within their own position of authority, but left their proper dwelling, he has kept in eternal chains until gloomy darkness and the judgment of the great day. Luke chapter 10, verse 18, Jesus says, And he saw them. I, Jesus actually says, I saw Satan fall like lightning from heaven. And Revelation 12, 17 once more says, Then the dragon became furious with the woman and went off to make war on the rest of her offspring. That's what we see happening in Genesis. And on those who keep the commandments of God and hold to the testimony of Jesus, that is us, and he stood on the sand of the sea. Here's what we see. As God created everything, he made it good, but that there was rebellion in heaven. Now, fact number four is this, is that Satan has authority in the realm of demons. Now, here's what we need to understand. We put all of these things together, and here's what I want us to, to see, is that somehow Satan launched a revolt in heaven. Now, I don't understand. In fact, scholars I've, I've read um, over the years, having studied this, I've, I've read various scholars, there's a, there's, a, there's a sense in which there are some things about the spiritual life that are mysterious and we just don't fully understand. But we know because they're in the Scriptures that they're true. But here's what we do know. We know that God created everything good. This was in heaven, but somehow Satan became the first sinner. In fact, the Bible tells us in 1 John 3, 8 that, that Satan had been sinning from the beginning. We know that somehow Evil arose within Satan himself. God didn't create evil. It arose within Satan. So somehow it happened. And it's not surprising then that Jesus calls Satan a liar and a murderer from the very beginning. So somehow evil erupted in Satan's heart and began overflowing like a volcano into other angels and then ultimately onto the earth and then ultimately spewing his, his lava all around through the generations. Again, don't fully understand how that took place except that what, we read, what, what many scholars think is that somehow in the very beginning, God gave free will even to angels. That would be consistent because God gives free will to you and I. God allows you to choose. You have a choice and your choice matters. Now, is there something else I need you to hear too before we continue on in the passage of Scripture? Is that there is this link between Satan and, and, the, and the serpent. Now, in the garden, and as much as I don't like snakes, 
Actually, I don't like spiders and snakes. But as much as I don't like snakes, because I see a snake, I don't say that snake is Satan. Right? It acts like I think Satan would act like. But it is not Satan. When I see a snake, I kill it as though it were Satan. The other day, however, I will say there's one exception. The other day, the staff was standing on the, uh, the, uh, out in front of the, the front entrance, and we were talking about this new welcome process that we're engaging in. As we were talking, behind us, I looked over, and there was this, this probably 20-foot long black snake that was just crawling and slithering. And for whatever reason, I ran toward it, ran away from it, and realized, oh, I don't have anything to fight it off with. But then I realized, okay, it's a good snake. It, was, it kills rats, which I don't like either. So, um, and this is a guy who likes to go backpacking. I like bears. Go figure. I don't know. So, so here, here we are, and, and we got this link between Satan and, and the serpent. Now, I want to say just this for the moment, and you need to hear this. In Luke, that same chapter of Luke 22, um, Satan said, it tells us in that passage of Scripture, Luke 22, 3, that Satan entered into a man and used him, speaking of Judas Iscariot, as an instrument to betray Jesus and hand him over to be crucified. I want to just say something right now. Again, I've said it all along, but I want to say it one more time. Is Satan is real. He's not a principle. He's not a force. He's not a cartoon. He is real. I know he's real. Because I, I, I have literally seen Satan at work in a spiritual in a spiritual realm. I won't tell you the whole story, but just just so that you understand, when we were in India, I told you about the time then when we went when I went to India and was doing some training with pastors and and such, and and we were uh, we were in this um, we were in this one city and we were doing a crusade and God was moving, and I, and I remember literally I I, I mean I, I remember on one occasion. When, um, when I heard and saw a demon and it was speaking to me. I don't say that often publicly because people think, uh, you're, you're whatever. I, I, if, if everything you know about me, I'm not a mystic. Uh, I'm practical. Um, I'm logical. I'm, I'm, I'm only reasonably emotional for a man. Um, sorry, guys. The women are laughing because they know. <laughs> so when I say this, I, it's not a figment of my imagination. It's not something I'm making up. I'm telling you, it is real. In that crusade, as we as we pastors were speaking, we had a there was a crusade when we had thirty thousand people who had who had gathered on a golf course on Sunday morning. As a pastor, I don't get that privilege very often. Golf course on Sunday morning, man. I, hang on, I'm, I'm, I'm just pausing for a moment. I'm thinking about my drive off number one tee. And we're, we're on this golf course and we're preaching. And the guy that day who was preaching is, was a Florida guy, in fact. The pastor was preaching. And there was, there was this man who, who started running towards the stage and he was, he was foaming at the mouth. Never seen that before in all of my life. It was real. What I'm saying is, is, is that Satan is real and that, that he, has, he has some abilities. Now, please understand that, that Satan cannot enter anyone who is unwilling. Cannot. Greater is he who is in you than he who is in the world. Cannot do it. But that do, he cannot possess you, but it does not mean he will not oppress you. And I remember when, when I had this encounter, and I've had, I've had a few others as I've traveled the world. Ironically, most of these things happen in other countries because this, Satan doesn't need to work as hard in America, I don't think, anymore. He's doing a pretty good job as it is. And, and there, he can oppress you. He can, he can try to scare you. He can try to... He can't, he, can't, he can't make you think things, but he can suggest things for you to think. And Satan is at work. And so that's what's happening with, with this serpent who's sliding into the garden. 
Now, with that said, let's look at let's look at the rest of this text. I want to move quickly through it, but I want you to hear this. In Genesis chapter 3, verse 1, the second part of verse 1 and following. Notice what takes place here. He said, Satan said to the woman, Did God actually say you shall not eat of any tree in the garden? I love the wording of that in the ESV. Here, here's what's happening. Satan's coming up and he's he's talking to Eve, and he's saying, Now, Eve. Did God actually say that? It, it's, it was either a suggestion that, Eve, you didn't really understand what God said, or, or more probably to the point is, what God said really may not be the whole truth on the matter. And so, and the woman said to the serpent, we may eat of the fruit of the trees in the garden, but God said you'll not eat of the fruit of the tree that's in the midst of the garden, nor shall you touch it lest you die. And then the serpent said to the woman, Woman, I'm paraphrasing, woman, you're not going to die. Don't you, don't you understand that God knows that if you eat from this tree, that your eyes are going to be open. You're going to see things that you've never seen before. And here's what's more important, Satan is saying to her. When you eat, you're going to be like God, knowing good from evil. Satan is just saying what he was thinking of himself before he got kicked out of heaven. He's trying to convince this argument on Eve. And guess what? She bought it. Hook, line, and sinker. Because it says then, so when the woman saw that the tree was good for food and that it was a delight to the eyes, it looked good to her. It's kind of like the French. The, my French friends always tell me that a meal, 50% of the, of, the, of the value of the meal is the way it appears. She must have seen, she must have, Satan must have been French is what I'm thinking. And he said that a tree was to be desired to make one wise. So she took of the fruit and ate and gave some to her husband who was with her and he ate. Here's Satan's work. You see the deceptive, the psyops, which is taking place here. All he was doing was casting doubt. Just casting doubt. If I can put a little doubt in, then I can get you off your firm conviction. If I can get you off your firm conviction, then I can have you. Doubt is a powerful force. It's a powerful force in a marital relationship. If Satan can ever make one party in the marriage doubt the love of the other person for them, it opens the door wide to a lot of things. Or... If Satan can make you think that you're not the marriage partner that you should be, and he can force some of his ill will onto you, then it brings doubt into the relationship and it creates a sense of distrust and tenuousness that makes that marital relationship so difficult. If he can sow doubt in your kids so that they think that you're not as smart as you really are, which of course we know happens from the age of 13 to 18. But that aside... If he can sow doubt in that, that parent-child relationship, he knows he has an opportunity to steal you away. Doubt, one of his tools. Then notice verse 7. Then the eyes of both were opened, and they knew that they were naked, and they sewed fig leaves together and made themselves loincloths. So there was this moment when Adam and Eve had their eyes opened and they saw their true condition. Now their true condition that they saw in verse 7 was not the condition that God wanted them. But at least for a moment, they saw the naked truth of their situation. Verse 8 through 13 says, And they heard the sound of the Lord God walking in the garden in the cool of the day, and the man and his wife hid themselves in the presence of the Lord God among the trees of the garden, but said, I heard the sound of you in the garden. I was afraid because I was naked, and I hid myself. God said, Who told you that you were naked? Have you eaten of the tree which I commanded you not to eat? And then the man said, well, the woman you gave me, gave it to me. That still goes on today. She said, so she gave it to me. And basically what he's saying is, hey, it's, like, it's, like, it's, like, it's like Adam played football. You know how I play football? You know, she give me food, I eat, you know, that kind of deal. That's, that's how Adam appears to me in this text of, of Scripture. He's like a caveman. Yeah, I have food, I eat. And then the, the woman said, the serpent deceived me, and I ate. 
You see what's happening here? There's this, there's this hostility of relationships because they were failing to walk in truth. They're failing to walk in truth. We need to walk in truth if we are going to live in truth and if we're going to have relationships that are true and real. Now notice what happens as a result of all of this. There's some consequences. To Satan, here's the consequence. The Lord God said to, the, to Satan, to the serpent, because you have done this, cursed are you above all livestock, above all beasts of the field. On your belly you shall go, and dust you shall eat all the days of your life. I will put enmity between you and the woman, between your offspring and her offspring. He shall bruise your head, and you shall bruise his heel. Now, the Satan was already... Some scholars think, well, the Satan must have been, been walking upright it's kind of like this, the cartoon where the Satan's upright, I mean, you know, serpent's upright with tiny little feet like a Tyrannosaurus Rex. That's not the image here that's taking place. He was always crawling on his belly because that's what snakes were supposed to do. But it's the dust, it's the ground that was so, that was so significant here that he would always be eating dust. Which is what I say to my Honda Yamaha friends when we're in a group together. But that's what's happening to Satan. He's, he was eating dust. Now notice what happens to Eve. This is, this, I find this one of the most fascinating parts. To Eve, he says, to the woman, he said, I will surely multiply your pain in childbearing. Now, it seems to me that having a child is painful. It's not so much for me. I seem to endure it pretty well. But notice he doesn't really say he's taking away the pain, Right? He's multiplying the pain as a reminder of sin. In pain you shall bring forth children. What's left out there is in pain you shall also rear them. But I think um, we would learn that later. I love kids. I do. Your desire, this is a, this is a I don't want to spend too much time here because we could do a whole night on this. But it says your desire shall be contrary to your husband. Do you see that from the very beginning, Satan was already sowing seeds of discord in the family? So when you go home this afternoon and you're arguing about something, and it'll happen, it's not your fault, it's Satan's fault. Well, maybe not, but, but you see the point, he's already sowing seeds of contrariness in your relationship. And then ladies, I'm sorry, but it then says he shall rule over you. That means whatever we say, you do it. Yeah, yeah, that's not going to happen. We know that. But here's, here's something very subtle in the text. And I'm being serious for, for a moment. There's something in the male-female relationship that got messed up in the garden. We don't have time to deal with this, but we hear a lot today in particular I don't know where, I know where it's coming from, but we hear a lot of this headship of the, of the man. We hear a lot about the headship of a man in a church. We hear a lot of headship about man in a family and a headship of man over here and, and over there. Did you know that even though Adam was created first, because God had to start somewhere. So like my wife always tells me, started with Adam and then he improved with Eve. They were always partners. There is nothing in the language that suggests to me and many others that, that there was something more important about the man. It just wasn't. They were equal. They were co-equal. They were partners in the task. Yes, they had different assignments. Who's more important, the quarterback or the lineman who protects the quarterback? They're both important. Equally important. And so we need to realize that Satan has been, he's been spreading this lie for thousands of years about the way husbands and wives are supposed to work in relationships. That's why we have so many problems around the world. I mean, when Cindy and I were in Egypt, we got a tour with this guy who, uh, he was his self-appointed tour, apparently, because we were walking and he joined us and then he started taking us and showing us everything. I mean, they're really efficient over there. And when it was done, he said, how much will you give me? And I said, I'll give you what you asked for in the beginning. <laughs> which was nothing. But it was fascinating. Was Islamic guy, and he was telling me about his four wives, and um, 
Apparently, he loved all four wives equally, which is what I keep telling my wife. It can be done. He loved all, and he was telling me all these, all these reasons, and we were having this conversation. But it was very obvious in the culture. The male is what matters. And that's a lie that Satan's been telling. He's been sowing discord. To Adam, notice what he says to Adam, because you listened to the voice of your wife and have eaten of the tree which I commanded you shall not eat of. Cursed is the ground because of you. So the ground was, was looking up to Adam and saying, gee, thanks. In pain you shall eat of it all the days of your life. They were an agriculture community to begin with. Thorns and thistles it shall bring forth for you. I farm in Oklahoma, I know about thorns and thistles. And you shall eat the plants of the field. By the sweat of your brow you shall eat bread till you return to the ground. For out of it you were taken. For you are dust, and to the dust you shall return. That's often used in funerals. Our work, what he's saying here is not that work wasn't supposed to happen. It was just supposed to be this, this, this pleasurable thing that you're doing for purpose. And what, what, what the punishment was here was that the work that we would do, though purposeful, would be harder than it needed to be because of sin. So do you see what Satan was doing in all of this? Let me recap it this way. In the garden, people became hostile to one another. Adam blamed Eve. People became hostile to nature. Nature became cursed. People became hostile to themselves and Adam felt shame in the garden because he was naked. People became hostile to God because they then said, Adam said to God, the woman you gave me. A form of hostility towards God. Do you see what Satan did? In just what appears to be a very few moments, Satan upended the whole ecology and psychology of our world. Which leads me to say this. To you and I, hell has stolen much. Do you know right now in America, there are 1.2 million violent crimes annually. There are 3.7 million burglaries, people trying to steal the stuff out of your house. And 30% of the time, a homeowner or resident is present. Did you know that people all around the world in Houston where we live is one of the hotbeds of this activity? But people are trying to steal people for economic gain. It's called human trafficking. Did you know there's 21 million victims of human trafficking worldwide? That 68% of them are trapped in forced labor? That 26% of them, 5.5 million, are children? That 55% are are women and girls, that's 11 and a half million. Do you see what Satan is doing? Do you know that this in, in America, this year, in 2020, there will be at least 40,000 drug overdoses this year. Many are among our teens. Do you know that there are 7 million teens who are now abusing alcohol in America? Do you know that there are half a million people on any given night in this country who will be homeless, and that is probably a low number. There are 2 million kids annually who are, are, are home-deprived. They might have a place to sleep, but they're moving from house to house to house to house just so they have a, a warm place to, to lay for the night. Did you know that this year there will probably be 800,000 divorces? There will be 876,000 abortions, and there's more because California, Maryland, and New Hampshire don't report those statistics. Did you know that one and a half million teenagers will run away from home this year? You see what hell has stolen? Hell has stolen much, and He's taken it from you, and He's taken it from me because He's sowing this discord. Now on the screen, for just a moment, I want, I want you to look at the screen. I'm just going to show you a, a series of one-word slides and tell me what you think. The first one, division. Hostility. Tension. Suspicion. Antagonism. Resentment. Bitterness. Animosity. Aggression. 
Were those holy words? They weren't. Those are the tools of Satan. That's what he's using to try to destroy you and your family. You see, Satan has your family in his crosshairs because your family is a high-value target to him. And at the end of the day, this we need to pray. Man, we need to pray. We need to pray more than ever before. But we also need to do something else, which is so important. It's, it's one verse, and if you can remember this one verse, you will have a key to helping your family. The verse is John 8.32. You know it. In fact, as I start to say it, you can say it with me. You will know the truth, and the truth will make you free. You see, in the garden, Adam and Eve became enslaved to this system that Satan set up. But Jesus came that He might break that system and that He might infuse something into our lives which is different than, than lies and deception and craftiness. Satan or Jesus wants to infuse into our lives this thing called truth. And if you know the truth, it'll set you free. Sometimes the truth is painful. When you sin and you have done something wrong before your family, before God, before a neighbor, one of the hardest things you'll ever have to do is go to that person and say, Honey, I have to tell you the truth about something. That is a hard moment. But you will never get free of that sin or that sin cycle until you confront it with truth. Truth is what changes the world. It's what changes the world, even when it's tough, because you see, sin grows in secrecy. That's why Satan is crafty. I think that's why he somehow inhabited a serpent, because of the, the, the slinkiness and the craftiness of it. But if you know the truth, the truth will set you free. So this morning, how do you overcome Satan? I've mentioned three things in this series, and I just want to recap with this before we sing our final song. The first one was remember that greater is He who is in you than he who is in the world. The Holy Spirit lives in you and He is speaking to you. The Holy Spirit can sense when sin is approaching your life and if you're walking sensitively with Jesus, there should be something inside of you that will begin to... to and it may be different for each one of us, but you'll begin to sense it. You'll begin to feel it in your, in your body. You'll begin to, to know in your mind somehow that, 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 that something's not right here. Trust it. Second thing we learned is verse of Scripture that said, I have stored up your word in my heart that I might not sin against you. Learn Scripture because Satan wants to confront you with lies, but you need to know Scripture to confront those lies. And then relationally, you need to know the truth and it will set you free. If you do those things, that will help you to be a soul survivor. And Satan will not have victory in your life. He won't. And that's what I pray for you. Would you pray with me? Father, this morning, I bring to you these dear people. I bring to you these people, God, because they are warriors for you. Lord, some are just, they're new. Some have been in this battle for a long time. And Father, there's, there's probably none of us here this morning who are without some scars and bruises and and hurts that you that the, that the enemy has, has laid upon us. But God, we're still standing strong. And we're fighting the battle. God, I pray that you would give these people the power to overcome through your spirit, through your word, and through your truth. Thank you, God, for them in Jesus' name. This morning, as we just sing this final song, um, altars will be open if you want to come and pray. And um, there will be people there to pray with you. When we finish this final song, I, just, I want to close out with doing one other, one other small thing. So stay with us if you're able. Let's stand together. And, and if you feel like you need to be here praying for your family, come down and, and pray with them. If the altars are, are too full, just stand and we'll come and stand with you and pray.
won't prosper when the darkness falls it won't prevail because the God I serve knows only how to triumph my God will never fail my God will never fail I'm gonna see you I'm gonna sing a victory for the battle belongs to you, Lord. I'm gonna sing a victory. I'm gonna sing a victory for the battle belongs to you, Lord.
see your victory. I'm gonna see your victory for the I'm gonna see your victory. time singing I'm gonna see your victory I'm gonna believe it for the battle oh, oh I'm gonna see you Church, do you believe that prayer? Yes, Lord. We believe, Lord. We believe. Church, just have a seat for just a moment, if you would. I want to, I want to do something here on on this last Sunday together with you. I'm gonna invite um, our staff. I prep them ahead of time. Their staff and their spouses can come if they want. They don't have to, but staff, you come on up and um, stand with us here. I'm going to have you stand right here on the on the stage or on the what are these steps I don't know how often you get to to really see them uh, particularly as a group but um, see them okay well scooch in like you love each other. All right. I uh, I wanted to uh, I wanted to um, I wanted to bring them up here so you could so you could see them. We have new folks here who may have never seen all these guys, but um, let me let me tell you something. When we uh, when we arrived here, um, in first Sunday was in October, last Sunday of October, when I first stepped onto the stage. Um, I'm telling you, I, I didn't know what to expect. I knew that it was going to be a tough journey because of the things that had happened. Um, and I knew that these were the folks that God had right here at this moment and this time. I didn't know what to expect about them. Um, and it was just, uh, it was, you know, it's just one of those moments where you're like, wow, God, what, what's going to happen? Uh, but I'm going to tell you something. These people right here, they care about this church. They do. They love you. They're they're in the battle. They're at the front of the battle. They're doing whatever it takes to help this church to succeed and be all that God wants it to be. Um, they're, they're, uh, they're, they have been many times, there have been places because of all the reductions that happened previously. They were asked to do things that they were never trained for, coached on, was never in their original job description. But things needed to be done, and they have stepped in, and uh, it, they have just been awesome. And uh, I just so appreciate them. And, but here's what I want to say to them is um, when I came in, they surrounded Cindy and I in a way that was just powerful, and we developed this, um, this really cool relationship. It doesn't normally happen in, in a short period of time like it, like it happens here. I, I, I feel like, in a, I don't, when I say this, I mean it in a good way, but I feel like I've been here a long time. Because uh, that's just how that's how how much we feel about them, and and they they uh, uh, they're an honor to serve with, and uh, they've been fabulous. And um, I think you, I think you should be proud of what God is doing through them. And I just want to commend them to you publicly this morning. Amen. Man, they—they're uh, awesome. They're great. We're gonna—we're gonna spend tomorrow morning together, and then—and then, and then we'll, we may not be here physically, but we'll be here uh, spiritually, relationally. We're always a phone call away, and wherever we're always able to help. But I want to pray for you guys, uh, for the work that you're doing. And so I want to just—I'm just gonna—I'm gonna just lay my hands on a couple of you. I appreciate Amanda being here today. Amanda has been in the hospital. She had surgery. 
and she's violating doctor's orders. She's done that once or two with times with me. Too. No, I'm just kidding. I'm just kidding. She thought it, I'm sure. But anyway, it's great that they can serve this way. Would you pray with me over these folks? Oh, Father, they, uh, you have blessed this church with such good servants. Thank you, God, for how much they love you. How often they talk about you in the office. Lord, it's not just a job, but it's a relationship. God, I thank you that that they love these people because they talk about these people all the time and pray for, pray for this congregation in ways, Lord, that many of us will never, ever see. Lord, I thank you for the many nights when I've received emails late at night regarding matters of work or early in the morning when they're asking questions. And Lord, I just know that, that they're, they're not coming in from 8 to 5 and leaving and done, but Lord, their hearts are here. And I, I thank you for that. Lord, I know that it's been wearisome, it's been difficult, but you have sustained. Thank you, God, for this staff that serves you and loves you so well. Lord, I pray that you continue to prosper, not just these people who are here, but those that will eventually come back to staff and, and serve, Lord, as this church grows and expands and as it tries to take back what hell has stolen. God, I just thank you for this moment, for these people at this time. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Guys, we love you so much. Really do. With that said, um, I guess we are... I don't know how to quit. How do we quit? We'll just say, uh, folks, we'll see you next Sunday. All right? See you guys. Go in peace.